your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're going to be talking about shaped by attachments. Now, you know, attachment really is an interesting thing because we are shaped by what we are attached to. That means that basically if I'm attached to uh, let's say an addiction like an alcohol or drugs, I'm going to make room in my life for that and I'm going to defend it. And so that attachment, it becomes a part of who I am because now I'm, I'm making that a part of, of my daily whatever, my daily schedule or whatever. And that's my little time. And I'm going to have 50 million excuses as to why it's right because I'm attached to that particular thing. If you're attached to your children, you're going to move a lot of things aside to spend that time with your children. And that means that that's going to be a a center of focus for you. And that's going to dictate how you operate as a human being. And it's also going to dictate how you think as a human being. Um, If you're attached to God or to Jesus, that's going to affect the way you operate as a person. But where this all begins is the emotional bond that typically forms between an infant and a caregiver is is really the, the way that the infant gets primary needs met. So when it becomes a, 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 a regular model or engine of uh, social, emotional, and cognitive development, the attachment experience can have an influence on the ability to form additional stable relationships because once they have that particular attachment, it's really hard for them to mimic that with others. Um, you know, the, the great thing about attachment is it provides an infant their first coping system. And it, and it sets up the infant's mind uh, of a mental representation of the caregiver, one that could be summoned up as, as normally comforting, uh, a mental presence in difficult moments. And so that attachment allows the infant to separate from the caregiver without distress and begin to explore the world around them. And in neuroscience, they believe that attachment is such a primal need that there are networks of neurons in the brain dedicated to setting it in motion and a hormone, oxytocin, to foster the process. So, you know, the basic psychological theory of attachment, uh, John Bowlby was a uh, psychoanalyst who researched the effects of separation between infants and their parents. And uh, Bowlby uh, hypothesized basically that the extreme behaviors infants engage in to avoid separation from a parent or when reconnecting physically with a separated parent like crying, screaming, and clinging were evolutionary mechanisms. And and he thought, John Bowlby thought these behaviors had possibly been reinforced through the natural selection and the uh, enhanced the child's chances of survival. So these attachment behaviors are instinctive responses to the perceived threat of losing the survival advantages that that basically come with being cared for and attended to by by most caregivers. So since the infants who engage in these behaviors were more likely to survive, their instincts were naturally selected and reinforced over generations. And that is kind of how we all form. We, we, these behaviors make up of what, what he termed the attachment behavioral system. And that's a system that guides us in our patterns and habits 
of forming and maintaining relationships. So, you know, there's a lot of research on John Bowlby's theory of attachment, but in and that research shows that infants placed in unfamiliar situations, separated from the parents, will generally react in one of three ways upon the reunion with the parent. Number one, and these are called the the the, the types of attachment that is offered, and these come from John Bowlby's theory. So secure attachment. These infants show distress upon separation, but but they usually seek comfort, and they're easily comforted when the parents come back. And then there's the anxious resistant attachment. And that's a it's a smaller portion of the infants experience greater levels of distress upon reuniting with their parents. And they seem both to seek comfort and to attend to punish the, for the parents for leaving. So they this develops into what's called a, a passive aggressive person. Now the secure attachment. Uh, that person is going to be a little bit better adjusted. Now then there's the avoidant attachment. Infants in the third, this, this category showed no stress or minimal stress upon separation from the parents and either ignored the parents upon reuniting or acted uh, actively avoided the parents. So in later years, there was another attachment that came along with it. Uh, I think it was uh, Kennedy and Kennedy 2004, somewhere around there. Uh, the fourth attachment is a disorganized and a disoriented attachment style, which refers to children who have no predictable pattern of attachment. So, you know, these avoidant attachments are apathetic people. They they learn to not have a big emotional network. They oftentimes, as Virginia Satir would say, they, they would become computers. Basically, they're logic-driven people who... Uh, don't shape their their emotions, don't use their emotions very often because they don't want to be hurt. And so they're gravely disappointed by their attachment to their parents and they innately believe that throughout life uh, there's going to be uh, zero real comforting attachments out there if their parents can't even get the job done. Now, you know, it makes uh, a lot of sense that a child's attachment style is a function of the caregiving that they receive in their early years, but those who receive support and love from their caregivers are likely to be secure, while those who experience inconsistency or negligence from their caregivers are likely to feel more anxiety uh, surrounding their relationship with one or both parents. So, especially if the one that's a caregiver is actually excusing the, the other behavior of, of the other parent or standing in the way of that. And so, uh, you know, attachment theory, in a sense, takes on uh, another step. And it applies what we know about attachment in children to relationships that we engage in as adults. These relationships make intimate or romantic relationships uh, fairly can make them fairly difficult if, if they grow up with poor attachment style. And so a lot of people are in love, but they, they, they don't know how to show it because in a relationship, they, early on, all the, uh, the, the engine of attachment that they developed in their brain doesn't allow them to cope with the fact they're with somebody 24 by 7 every day of the year, and that's their partner for life. And so a lot of people have trouble extending a, a deeper love in a relationship, and they carry on very uh, glancing conversations, factual um, they may have fun every once in a while, but most of it's surfacy, and that's because there's something going on in the attachment uh, in their younger life. You know, through the work of Bowlby, he developed a really strong belief that the impact of family experiences on children, their emotional, their behavioral well-being, well-being early in their life, 
that is going to be the obstacle if it's done in a diluted or a, 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 a somewhat um, unstable way. It's going to be a barrier that has to be undone in their adult life. And that can be extremely challenging. And so um, there were a lot of experience, you know, even in Freud's work, um, he wrote several papers and uh, and basically he, he agreed into the attachment theory. And uh, he didn't have that theory, but in his early years of development, he actually proposed a lot of things. Uh, uh, a lot of things regarding attachment and how that worked into his theory of psychodynamic uh, therapy. Now, there was another guy, Harry Harlow, and he in the 50s was conducting experience, experiments on love and relationships between parents and children, as specifically monkey parents and children, and his work showed motherly love was an emotional uh, rather than physiological, and that the capacity for attachment is heavily dependent on the experiences in the early childhood, and that the capacity is unlikely to change most after it's set. So once it's set, that's the deal. And uh, he conducted a couple very famous experiments. In, in the first experience, he separated infant monkeys from their mothers a few hours after birth. So each monkey was instead raised by two inanimate surrogate mothers and both provided infant monkeys with milk they needed to survive but one was made out of wire mesh while the other was wire mesh covered with soft terry cloth and the monkeys who were given the freedom to choose which mother to associate with almost always choose to take the milk from the terry cloth mother and so that finding basically showed that infant attachment is not simply a matter of where they get their milk but there's other factors at play the second experiment uh, the monkeys were given either the bare wire mesh surrogate mother or a terry cloth mother, but which provided the milk, uh, uh, b- both of which provided the monkeys milk they needed to grow. But both groups of monkeys survived and thrived physically, but they displayed extremely different behavior tendencies. Those with the terry cloth mother returned to the surrogate when presented with strange loud objects, while those with the mesh mother would throw themselves on the floor, clutch themselves, rock back and forth, and even scream in terror. So this provided a really strong indication that emotional attachment is gained through cuddling, and it affects the monkey's uh, later responses to stress and emotional regulation. So that's a very important experiment, and and that says a lot about how we need to attach as parents to our children. Um, You know, even Eric Erickson, he he was... uh, he was doing research also back in the 40s and the 50s, and his work was based on Freud's original personality theories, and, and that drew from his idea of the ego. You know, Erickson placed more importance on, on the culture and the society than on Freud's focus on conflict between the id and the ego. Now, I know I'm going into a lot of different uh, stuff here, but it's important to understand um, that our development is very early, and if we can understand how we attached as younger children, we can have a better perspective as how we can change as people and where we can target change as people. Because a lot of our interactive style with people has to do with attachment. And uh, unfortunately, not everybody is a great parent. There's a lot of breeding stock out there. So unfortunately, you know, people that have children don't necessarily have children to love them. They have children because that's what they think they're supposed to be doing. Or they made a mistake and didn't uh, take care of themselves before they had sex. But, you know, there's there's um, 
th- there's all kinds of, of ideas about attachment theory, but um, it also leads to um, a, the idea of how an adult attachment works. So with secure attachment, basically the adults were more likely to be satisfied with their relationships. They felt more secure, connected to their partners without feeling the need to be together all the time. So now we're seeing what they look like as adults. So so the secure, secure attachment, their relationships are likely to feature honesty, support, independence, and deep emotional connections. Now, here's the problem, children. The dismissive avoidant, so the anxious avoidant, so, the, you know, one of two types of adults come out of this scenario. People with attachment style like this generally keep their distance from others. They may feel that they don't need human connection to survive or they deny themselves the need uh, of human connection. And they insist on maintaining their independence and isolation from other people. So these individuals are often able to just shut down emotionally when a potentially hurtful scenario comes up, um, such as an argument or or uh, a threat of uh, the continuance of the relationship. So these people have a rocky life and this dismissive avoidant style of, of uh, being raised. And then the anxious preoccupied. So these form less secure bonds with their partners, but they may feel a desperate love or affection and feel that their partner must complete them or fix their problems. So these guys become codependent. And while they long for safety and security in their romantic relationships, they may also be acting in ways that push their partner away rather than invite them. So so basically, their behavior is, is fear-based and it can include being clingy or demanding, jealous, easily upset by small issues. So, you know, this kind of person can be high maintenance, <laughs> to say the least. And then there's the disorganized attachment, or they call it also a fearful avoidant. And so this other type of adult, of avoidant attachment, they, they have like an ambivalence rather than isolation. So the people with this style generally try to avoid their feelings because it's easy to get overwhelmed. And so they suffer from unpredictable, abrupt mood swings, uh, a fear of getting hurt by someone, a romantic partner, for instance. So they, they also are drawn to a partner or a potential partner and, and, and fearful of getting close. So, so, you know, this style makes it difficult to form a, a, and maintain a real meaningful relationship or healthy relationships with other people because they have such a poor emotional vocabulary. Now, what is an emotional, what are, what's the whole point of emotions? Well, you know, emotions are meant to motivate us. They're not meant to lead our life. So that means we pick the mo- the most the emotions that are going to help us get through something. And so that's a very important thing to understand is that you have a thought and then you must find an emotion that will motivate you to fulfill that thought. And so it's it's really important to understand uh, how to develop emotional vocabulary and that's by speaking to your emotions rather than demonstrating them or imposing them on people. You know there there's just so much conflict and confusion that takes place in people's lives because of the way they attached as they were young. And, and, you know, unfortunately, uh, this also affects how people experience grief and trauma. uh, Because though, you you know, uh, there's five stages of grief by Kubler-Ross. I don't know if you know what those are, but, uh, you know, there's a shock, there's a numbness, there's a yearning, there's a despair, there's a reorganization. and, And then, of course, your attachment style is going to 
you know, fall into that grieving process. But unfortunately, if people are uh, anxiously attached, they're going to go through a long grieving process. Uh, people that are avoidant attached are going to s- seem to be like not caring at all. And, uh, you know, dismissive avoidant, uh, or they're going to be kind of rocky. They're going to be passive aggressive through the whole process. So that means that the the, the uh, grieving is just going to kind of creep up on them in moments and take over. And the people that are securely attached are going to grieve fairly normally, and those generally, uh, the first six months is the hardest, and then after that, it goes on for about three years where the symptomology takes place in most people, many people, and that's with the secure attachment, and then basically it rolls out uh, uh, into just a lot of memories and a lot of still feeling sad over the years, but not the same type of grieving that they experienced in the first six months. All right. We're going to go on. We're going to talk about uh, how to uh, 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 make you an emotion coach, <laughs> how to change the attachment style, and, and how to uh, teach that into your your work with people and how you socialize as a person because this affects how we operate in a work environment. So come back. <laughs> Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories, resulting in transformed lives. You'll learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and a replay Fridays at 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. 
That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about um, shaping ourselves through attachment. And it's really interesting because, you know, attachment plays so many different roles in our life, in our relationships, in our personal hobbies, our personal interests, uh, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, You know, it... It affects uh, people's addictions like to drugs, alcohol, pornography. You know, uh, it, it affects uh, the way a person attaches at work and, or lack of attachment, being able to be a leader, to be promoted, to, to live in society, how they view politics, how they view the world, how they view the things that happen, you know, is, and how they even attach to their own dog. I mean, it plays a huge, it's just a huge uh, developmental uh, milestone. And it all gets started in, in the child's early, early life. You know, our value systems are actually built by the time we're 10 years old, but our developmental style, our attachment style is usually somewhere between um, uh, zero to five to seven, somewhere in that period, depending on uh how high maintenance the kid is. Um, you know, it, it, the use of attachment can be taught and, and it's called emotional coaching and it's about helping children and people become aware of their emotions to manage their own feelings, particularly during instances of misbehavior. So basically it, it lets a practitioner create a, a, a way that they can change to promote better behavior uh, through rewards and punishments. So instead of uh, instead, you know, emotional coaching involves teaching students or kids about the world in in the movement of emotion and in the moment of emotion, not the moment that you predict, but the moment what motion is needed right now and learning to understand that you live in the here and now and you don't need to be bogged down by a, a sea of emotions. Just use the ones you got in this moment. And so it teaches them how to apply emotions to their life. Also, it shows them strategies for dealing with uh, emotional ups and downs and with accepting negative, unpleasant emotions as normal and not accepting negative behavior. And it also teaches about challenging behavior as opportunities for teaching. So when things happen, we don't sit around and beat on what happened. We start to look at what opportunities that this is providing us to do something different in our life, which may lead to something good. Also, building trust and respect relationships with with people, that's another way in which you can begin to to get this attachment thing done. You know, and if I look at it through my scope, um, you know, I always talk about this, but but. You know, when fear enters, faith leaves, and when faith enters, fear leaves. So living a life of faith means you take chances, and that calls for reaching out and and making a commitment to try to make relationships with people and be safe. Um, The other thing is to build trust because attachment people that have issues with attachment have trust issues. And whether it's emotional or physical or both or, or, or you know, th- there's just issues. And so if you want to learn how to get to trust, you have to understand that you can you can love people and not trust them. But when you trust people, 
love grows and grows and grows. And so it's a huge thing to understand that when a person feels trust, they feel at home. They feel they can be themselves. And when we fight trust in relationships, especially in marriage, we're basically tearing the binder off the book that creates a good, steady dialogue of safety and love between two people. And so when people work on trust in a relationship, that relationship will grow and the love will grow with it. So you don't work on love, you work on trust. And and the more people learn to trust each other, the better off they are. And now, how do you get to trust? Well, if there's someone that you want to trust in your life, you need to ask them, especially if you've made a mistake, you need to have ask them to have faith in you, faith in me. And so that means they're not going to trust you. And you know they're not going to trust you. But what they are doing is having faith in you and acting as if they trust you until eventually they do, if you're consistent. Now, I hate to throw another theory out there, but John Gottman uh, created a theory, and it's a theory of attachment, and and it's basically uh, how to how to attach, and it's it's involves this emotional coaching. So the first step is to tune in. That's what he called it. Notice or become aware of your own and the child's emotions, and make sure you're calm enough to practice emotional coaching. Otherwise, you might want to give both uh, a a nice break. (laughs) If you're going to join your child in bad behavior, you're only going to amp them up. And so, uh, you know, a lot of people that join their kids with bad behavior are either number one tired or they have a messed up inner child. Um, The next step Gottman has is, is to connect. And this using the situation basically as an opportunity for you to practice and for the child to learn. And so you, you state objectively what emotions you think the child has experienced and help them connect their emotions to their behavior. I can see that you're tired. I can see that you're upset. I can see that you're frustrated, you know, and being able to basically tell them what their emotion is. So now they understand what is that I'm experiencing right now, because a lot of kids will just cry because that's all they know what to do because they don't have a vocabulary. And so what we have to do as adults is we have to teach them that vocabulary. And we also uh, have to be empathetic. That means to, to connect, we have to accept and listen despite if we hear something that's crazy, we still need to accept and listen and practice empathy. So we, that means we put ourselves in a child's shoes and we think about a situation when you felt a similar emotion and then we try to remember what it felt like. The next, and and that means that we we try to understand what's underneath, what's on the surface happening. And and a lot of people ignore it. Uh, A lot of people get angry at their children because, you know, kids are self-centered and they don't think about you very much as far as considering your needs. And uh, that makes us very angry because, you know, narcissistic people drive us all crazy, but um, we can't project what adults do on our children because they're going through a stage of life where they don't have the capacity to really feel empathy because they don't know the emotion very well. Okay, the other thing is to reflect. After you accept and listen, reflect. Once everybody's calm, go back over what the child said or did Uh, mentioning only what you saw, heard, or understand of the situation, and reflect on what happened 
and why. And that means we're focusing and how it happened also. That means we're focusing on the process that led to the event rather than the event itself. By doing that, we're developing a forgiveness and an understanding that we're going to take this as a lesson learned. And then we want to end, and this is Gottman still, John Gottman, end with the problem-solving choices setting limits. Whatever, Whenever possible, try to end the situation by guiding or involving the child in problem-solving. And so, you know, that's, that's basically the essence of emotional coaching. And that's the same thing you would do with an adult. It's just done through more adult framework of dialogue and understanding and a little bit more, hopefully, a little bit more emotional maturity. You know, um, what does this emotional coach do? Basically, they're, they're, they, uh, you know, they do tasks. Basically, they handle difficult situations like somebody that's angry or somebody that has bad behavior or, uh, you know, uh, there's a big problem and nobody wants to solve it. Um, so that's kind of what they do. They, they kind of soothe and they validate and they go through the process of dealing with people that most people don't want to deal with. That's people that are enraged, people that are crazy, uh, people that are self-centered, narcissistic. Um, and, and basically, that's this emotional coach is trying to pull them out of that. Also, people that have attachment issues in their marriage about how to attach that's what emotional coaches do. And, um, you know, this is a big deal. Uh, there, there's uh, uh, things you can create uh, like scripts and stuff like that to help you uh, go through the process if you can't remember is like, you know, actually writing down your thoughts, writing down your day, writing down what you're going through, writing down what you're working on because that makes it, it – it, right there in front of it, it makes it tangible so you understand that you're actually working on something to change within yourself. Um, you know, social workers use emotional coaching, uh, therapists, uh, all kinds of people. It, it depends on the scenarios, but uh, there's a lot of need for that in this life. And people that are good with emotions and are good with raising children that are stable, uh, you can become a very good emotional coach in society. Um, you know, attachment theory applies your whole range of life. Many behaviors and processes are shaped by the early attachment, including staying safe and seeking uh, comfort, regulating the, the proximity that people can come around you, seeking uh, predictability. That's what people love is predictability. They don't like change. They want predictability because they want to be able to consistently stay attached. You know, attachment patterns are not based on a few key moments, but on thousands of moments throughout life and how attachment figure responds or doesn't respond sets a template for the child's attachment in the future. So, you know, templates affect how the child recognizes and responds to their own emotions and how they interact with attachment figures. You know, I was just explaining, oftentimes in a relationship, uh, um, you've got a disciplinarian parent and then you've got the nurturing parent. And the biggest problem is, is that uh, a child will play both ways. They, they will divide the couple by going towards the, you know, doing bad behavior with the disciplinarian and then seeking comfort from the other. And they do both at the same time. And it brings it. And if you be, act poor towards a child as the disciplinarian, uh, the child is reinforcing that 
only the nurturing parent should be the one to be heard. And that can create a lot of problems in marriage. And that can also create a lot of problems with how that child attaches because they may not do well with boundaries if if they if they go towards the nurturer at all times. So it's important for both parents to interchange the roles and be nurturing and disciplinarian. And I'm not saying beat your child. I'm saying, you know, timeouts and things like that in, the, in that kind of way so that, that the child understands that both parents are there for a reason and it's not for one to be comforting and the other to be uh, enforcing rules. Um, but that, unfortunately, that model has been in marriage for probably thousands of years. And sadly, um, it's it's not a model that fits in today's world. It just doesn't. Um, it's it's Especially when you have two people that are working or uh, uh, one parent that's home doing the job of being a parent, um, man, it, it can be a lot of stress if they don't parent if they don't parent well and together. It's important for couples to do that so these attachment goals can be met and, and kids can actually go out into life and form strong attachments to people that they may or may not know. So, you know, your style of attachment affects everything from our partner selection to how well our relationships progress and sadly to how they end. And so we're going to talk a little bit about relationships. It's important to recognize our attachment pattern because that can help us understand our strengths and our vulnerabilities in a relationship. An attachment pattern is established, once again, early in childhood, and it's a working model for relationships in adult life. So that model of attachment from childhood, it basically influences how each of us reacts to our needs and how we go about getting them met. So when there's a secure attachment pattern, a person's confident, self-possessed, able to easily interact with others, meeting both of their own and another's needs. However, when there's an anxious or avoidant attachment pattern, a person picks a partner who fits with that maladapted pattern. So they will most likely be choosing someone who isn't the ideal choice to make them happy because they're picking someone else that is anxious and avoidant attachment. And now they can point to them and say, you're messed up and not me. And the other one can say, you're messed up and not me. And both the two shall not meet. They want to blame each other for what's inside of them. And so now they have someone to project that insecurity on. And I hope I'm not getting too deep into psychology, but but I'm trying to, to give you a sense of understanding of how this affects our relationship models. And, and also, we set ourselves up by finding partners that confirm our models. And so if we grow up with an insecure attachment pattern, we may project or seek to, to duplicate similar patterns of relating as adults. So even when these patterns hurt us, uh, and they're not of our own interest. That's what we do, unfortunately. You know, securely attached adults tend to be more satisfied in relationships. Children with a secure attachment see their parent as a secure base that they can venture out, be independent, explore the world. So a secure adult has a similar relationship with their romantic partner, feeling secure, connected, while allowing themselves and their partner to move freely. And they also offer more support when the partner feels distressed. They also go to their partner for comfort when they themselves feel troubled. And so their relationship basically tends to be honest, open, equal, both people feeling independent, yet they love towards each other. And I'm not that every securely attached uh, person is going to operate this way, but you know, securely attached couples don't tend to engage in what what uh, uh, um, 
you know, a fantasy bond. Basically, they 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 don't uh, live an ego based see who we are and then inside you walk in their home and they're a total disaster that's not what we're talking about you know people that use emotional cutoffs basically not going to talk about this anymore and then they give silent treatment and all that stuff um you know the 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 fantasy bond couple they're looking for events to to make them feel stable rather than a life that makes them feel stable now, there's this anxious, preoccupied attachment also. And they're unlike securely attached, people with this anxious attachment tend to be desperate to form the fantasy bond. Instead of feeling real love or trust, they real they want they have this uh, feel of, of emotional like hunger. I mean, they're frequently looking to their partner to rescue or complete them. And although they're seeking a sense of safety and security by clinging to their partner, they take actions that push their partner away. So even though anxiously attached individuals act desperate or insecure, more often than not, their behavior just burns out and, and uh, the other person and it exacerbates their fears. So when they're unsure of their partner's feelings, unsafe in their relationship, they become clingy, demanding, possessive towards their partner. They also may interpret uh, independent actions by their partner as affirmation of their fears. For example, if, if their partner starts socializing more with friends, they may think, see, he doesn't really love me or she doesn't really love me. And this means they're going to leave me. And, you know, they begin to get that anxious attachment where they start to rattle. And then there's this dismissive avoidant attachment. People with the dismissive avoidant attachment, they tend to distance themselves from their partner. They may ask, isolate, feel pseudo-independent. They take on the role of uh, basically parenting themselves, and they, they often come off as focused on themselves, maybe overly attending to their comforts. And so they, they, this pseudo-independence, basically, uh, underneath it, it's an illusion. You know, every human being needs connection. No, nevertheless, people with this dismissive avoidant attachment tend to lead more inward lives. You know, they deny the importance of loved ones. They detach easily. And they're often uh, psychologically defended and have the ability to shut down emotionally, even in, in heated or emotional situations, they, they're able to basically turn off their feelings and, and not react. And for example, if, if their partner's distressed and threatens to leave them, they would respond by saying, I don't care. <laughs> and that would plays into their partner's fears. There's also this uh, fearful avoidant attachment. And that's a person with a fearful avoidant attachment. They live in, a, in an ambivalent state which they're afraid of being too close or too distant from other people. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to wrap up on relationships, and then we're going to talk about healing this attachment issue. Come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. 
Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about uh, shaped by attachment. That means our lives being shaped by how we attached when we were young children. Um, Right now, we're talking about more about the adults and what they look like in various uh, uh, attachment forms. And the particular one we're talking about is the fearful avoidant attachment. And this is basically a person with a, a fearful avoidant attachment. They live, and as I said in the last thing, they're ambivalent. And, and they're afraid of being close or uh, too distant from others. They they really oftentimes keep their feelings at bay Um but they're unable to. They can't just avoid their anxiety or run away from their feelings. Instead, they're overwhelmed by their reactions and often experience emotional storms inside their, their mind. And they tend to be mixed up and, and, and unpredictable in their moods. And they see their relationships from uh, the working model that you need to go towards others to get your needs met. But if you get close to others, they will hurt you. And so, in other words, they have friends in a box. I go to the movies with this one. I go to the restaurant with this one. I go to play golf with this one, whatever it is. Um, but they basically keep people at, at bay. And so they want to go uh, for safety. And it's the same person they're, they're frightened of at that time. So they're, they want to feel safe from you, but they're frightened of you. And so they kind of play in between. And there's no real organized strategy for getting their needs met by other people. So they're... They're, they're fearful and they're avoidant in their attachment styles. And as adults, these tend to, to find themselves in really dramatic uh, relationships with highs and lows. They, they usually have fears of being abandoned, but also they struggle with being intimate. They may cling to their partner when they feel rejected and then they feel trapped that they're too close. And so sometimes the timing gets to be off between them and their partner and a person with a fearful avoidant attachment may, may wind up 
uh, basically in a, a, an abusive relationship. So that attachment style that they developed as a kid is based on your relationship with a parent or an early caretaker. And it doesn't have to define your ways of letting, you, you know, those of you who love you in your adult life. But if you come to know your attachment style, this is what this show really is about, is that you can uncover ways you're defending yourself from getting close and being emotionally connected and get back to a more stable, balanced life. And that is the goal of this whole thing. You can challenge your defenses by choosing a partner with a secure attachment style and work on developing yourself in that relationship, modeling after that partner. And therapy can also be helpful for changing maladaptive attachment patterns by becoming aware of your style. Both you and your partner can challenge those insecurities and those fears supported by your your working model. And so you develop a new style of attachment for sustaining a satisfying, loving relationship. So that's another reason you don't want to marry someone just like you. Um, because you want to have a person that has a different, more stable attachment style in your life to bring peace in your life and help you open up and change. You know, and when you heal, you, you may have been single for some time and you wonder why, or you may have had uh, been a serial dater who enters relationships and, you know, they fall hard for the first few months only to cool down and then they lose interest. You know, that you may yearn for love, but find yourself staying home, uh, you know, binge watching some TV program or, or you may have found the perfect partner, but get, get so in your head that it's impossible to enjoy dinner with them. Or perhaps you've been in a long term relationship, but feel unfulfilled. And no matter what they do, you can't seem to trust your partner. And in any of these scenarios, if they apply to you, you may be mimicking those feelings that were established when you were a young child. And so that's how we begin to recognize what do we have to change? You know, many of the fears and, and, and beliefs and, and behavioral patterns we emulate come from that period of our life. So um, how can we know that we're well attached to our parents as a child? Well, we probably will never really know that. What our parents perceive to be healthy and an attentive parent, uh, uh, attentive, uh, may not have felt uh, like that to us. So what one child perceived as the perfect amount of love may have felt dismissive by another. And unfortunately, most of us don't have a memory bank that goes back that far. So the information we have to work with is is not very good. So, you know, we can't really know exactly how we attach, but we can look at our parent and kind of take it from here and go, hmm, I wonder how I attach to that. You know, there, there there's... Uh, you know, looking at how we can heal is, is important. And so when a securely uh, 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 attached person is paired with an anxiously avoidant attachment person, there is always something wrong. This does not mean that relationships won't exist between them, but but uh, they're often short-lived and unfulfilling. So uh, securely attached people, some have a blind spot that prevents them from understanding what what the insecure attachments are coping with. They don't seem to understand why uh, you're so dramatic, why there's so much drama, why there's so much hardness in you. They, they don't get where all that comes from. And, and having a really strong conversation with your partner about it is a good thing. So how do you, you know, 
heal these wounds. You know, we have to get a little deeper. We often have to go go to the pathway of the images of how we might have created our unconscious attachment style. You know, looking back into our childhood and and let have a dialogue with ourselves that basically says, you know, I do this and I don't understand, but I now I'm beginning to see where my attachment to my mother or my father may have uh, affected the way I'm now interacting with this person. You know, uh, people that have a, let's say, a mother that's not very uh, uh, nurturing, she may think she's nurturing, but but she may not be nurturing. Uh, that's going to affect a child to, to likely uh, be avoidant attachment. And, and that's going to create, once again, controversy. So you have to look at your parents and go, okay, how much nurturing did I really get? Because if you didn't get nurturing, one of the primary needs that we have as children is is structure and nurturing that means that we're safe we're fed that means there's a routine and we can predict it and it's also we're nurtured that means we're loved and we don't know why we're loved but we know we're loved and so we feel safer and safer and the safer and safer we feel as a baby the safer and the safer and safer we feel in our life and it's important to understand that you know uh, um one of the things that you really have to do a lot of work inside yourself, you know, you need to look at what brings you joy, what calms you, what gives you insight. You know, there's there's a tremendous amount of feeling when you work with images also, and, you know, past, present, future. We can essentially create reality where we desire, where we remember something that brings us to a sense of calmness and, and negative self-beliefs, traumas, fears, experiences, children you can get rid of them because they're gone. They're done. They don't have to dictate who you are today. And that, that's a funny thing about trauma. Um, people take those events and they just make that who they are. And that is the last thing a person wants to do is make trauma be something that they are. So, you know, guided meditation is a good way to to reach into these attachment issues. So, you, you know, you want to find a comfortable spot. Somewhere that's no uh, traffic, noise, something, you know, turn your cell phone off, you know, take your shoes and socks off, sit down on the floor, reach down, grab your feet, whatever, um, you know, and close your eyes and you begin to breathe, inhale through your nose, imagine all the air you you put in is full of love and compassion, that's a good idea, you know, it's, it's just basically calming yourself down and sitting and beginning to look through your childhood memories and and let them come towards you and, and meet up with the child and try to remember how you were parented. And if you can do that and you do that on a consistent basis and go through the steps of doing that constantly and consistently, you're going to be able to understand better how you uh, were raised and what issues you have in regards to attachment. And, and so, you know, I encourage you, to, you know, if you need to, to seek somebody that's an expert in that area. But, but the the beliefs you adopt in pursuing relationship determines the type of relationships you end up with. So we are attached to those who confirm the beliefs that we hold, and that makes it difficult for us to change. And so that's why I say, do this inner work. And you may be able to attach differently and you may be able to shape your partner to attach differently. You know, 
that there's uh, uh, the simple fact that human attraction is based on beliefs. And, and you know, does the, the man have good dad potential or is he a, a, a not a good one? Do you, do you need to have a mind-blowing, you know, like a sexual relationship? Or do you, do you uh, tell your partner that, that you're hurt and expect them to read your mind? You know, every person has their own measuring stick as to what would happen in a relationship and what traits a person must have for them to fall in love but, uh, you know, it, it, those beliefs make up our measuring stick. And that, that sadly, that measuring stick can be uh, what we want to be more familiar to us. And, and that creates this, the idea that we're not going to change. We're not going to stretch. We're not going to adapt. And so, you know, healthy couples, healthy lovers, they find it easy to be close to each other. They, they're comfortable depending on others. They don't mind being dependent on. They rarely worry about being abandoned or someone getting too close to them. And, and they have a positive self-view and, and perceive others positively. And so these beliefs give them the capacity to ask for what they want in a relationship or ask for clarity. Having that model in your mind and understanding that you, 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 want, you don't have to fear abandonment. You don't have to live in fear. That is a very important self-view that a person can have. And if you can carry that with you, you're going to have good, good, secure attachments. Also, um, there's also manipulative uh, people. And so that type of struggle is to find others that want to get as close as they want. So they often worry that their partner doesn't really love them or want to stay with them. And so these beliefs tend to cause the type of to, to behave in ways that reinforce it. So they often feel their desire for someone scares them away. And so this type devalues themselves. And, I don't, you know, it, it also puts others on a pedestal. And so basically, they perform uh, to meet the others' expectations. And they're also needy because they seek uh, external validations for their work and because they don't feel worthy themselves. And then there's uh, the avoidant type. It's basically to just leave me alone. And this type is uncomfortable with close emotional relationships. And uh, they, they're uh, basically their parents were unavailable. So their independence is reinforced into their overly uh, positive self-views and their negative perceptions of others. So they, they tend to have a chip on their shoulder. Uh, they tend to go through life uh uh, you know, isolating and not being uh, uh, someone that lives openly and caring. And so they have a lot of issues. And so, you know, attachment strategies are not permanent. Um, you know, about 30% of our population actually changes, you know, but you have to come to grips with the idea that you have a problem. And if you can do that, that's where you begin to heal. All right, that's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. We have a radically expanding audience since 2013. I started this show uh, basically to teach my kids what I do. And now, uh, not that they've listened yet, <laughs> but we can uh, fill nearly every uh, Sunday football stadium in America every week of every month. And I got to say, I do this show because I love people and I only want to help empower you. So if no one has said that they care I care. You know, that's why this show is here, is to help you and to uh, help your life. So remember, the root of all suffering is attachment. That comes from Buddha. Not very funny. All right. Remember also, sex is best with someone you care about. Emotional attachment gives you more emotional satisfaction. Not funny. But here's another one. Sex is like snow. You don't know how long it will last or how many inches. <laughs> And the last one, when you say you can go on all night, make sure you clarify you're talking about sleeping. Thanks for listening. 
That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back.